good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. For those of you who are joining us here in person or online, good morning. My name is Julie. I am one of the pastors at the Bellingham campus of CTK, um, so I don't often get a chance to be this far north, but here I am, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Um, I like to make sure and share a bit about myself before I preach so that we can feel like we're friends, um, but before I do that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll um, get to know me a little bit. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful community that I get to be a part of. Thank you that Dan gets to be on vacation and that his community is still here worshiping. Lord, I pray that everything that I say um, glorifies you, that you do a work in each of our hearts, um, and that you are the thing that we remember about this weekend. In your name, amen. Okay, so like I said, my name is Julie. I grew up in San Diego, California, and then moved up to Washington in 2007. So when I say that in the wintertime, that's when everyone stops listening because they're like, obviously this girl's crazy. Um, but when I say that in the summer, people know that summers up here are beautiful and it was not a bad decision I made to move north. Um, I have been married to my husband, Josh, for nine and a half years. Um, and he is here with me this morning, sitting over there, um, now by himself, because I'm up here. Um, we have a dog named Zoe. She's two years old. We named her Zoe because it means life. Funny enough, she almost killed us when she was a puppy, because she's a lot of work. So it's an ironic name, naming her life, but we do love her. Um, we are super stereotypical Northwest people. We are outdoors quite a bit. Um, we love hiking and all of that kind of stuff. So this time of year is like our most favorite time. Um, Josh enjoys winter sports, but I do not, so it's mostly just cold and wet to me. Um, I love podcasts, and I love reading, so those are things that I do a lot of. I've been a part of the CTK family for nine years this month, um, so I've been at the Bellingham campus that, most of that time. I've had a variety of jobs, and now I am a pastor for adults, and I have been on that team for about four years now, so that is a bit about me. Like I said, I love podcasts, I love reading, and I love words. So I love Wordle. Does anyone else play Wordle? Raise your hand. Yes, I love it. Um, I got it in four today, just so everyone knows. Um, that's about my average, so I'm not the best. If you haven't played, it is this game that somehow went viral the beginning of this year, where three, over three million people play a day. You have to guess a five-letter word of the day in six guesses or less. Um, it keeps track of your streak if you play daily. A lot of people like me will share their scores with friends every day, and it's fun to see how everyone does. Um, this, Like I said this morning, I got it in four. Most everyone on my Wordle thread has got it in three, so I'm like a little upset, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, it feels like it's not the worst thing to be addicted to because it's like one word a day, so like who cares? But I do Wordle first thing in the morning. Now, you've probably heard, like I have, don't pick up your phone first thing in the morning, don't scroll so social media first thing in the morning, um, that's not good for you or your pace of life, so I'm like, I don't scroll social media first thing in the morning, because I want to have, like, a healthy mental health, you know, like, I want to have good pace of life, but instead now I do Wordle first thing in the morning, um, because what happens is, is we, if we remove something from our life, we often find a way to replace it. We could just embrace the quiet of the morning, but instead we find ourselves picking up our phone and doing Wordle first thing. 
We keep ourselves busy, and we shut out times of quiet. We don't mean to, but there's just so much to look at. There's noise and technology and information and social media and news and text messages. All of that is going on at any given time. And we've all completely gotten used to it. Like, this is just how we live life. Like, if you stand in line anywhere now, if you go to a grocery store or something, everyone around you is not looking around. They're doing this in line, right? And probably you don't notice because you are too. Like, this is what we do. We have our heads down and we're looking at our phone and taking in information when we used to do nothing at all. When we travel and we're sitting on a plane, we're watching movies, when we get in a car, we turn on the radio, and you get home at night, you turn on the TV or the internet. Do you guys remember being bored? Do you remember that? Do you remember just standing in line and like looking around, trying to like not buy the things off the end cap that always look like enticing as you're waiting in line? Do you remember like sitting and eating and actually focusing on the people across from you? We don't do that anymore. When we have an opportunity to have a bit of silence, we fill it. It's habit, it's addiction to noise, sometimes it's a fear of silence, but whatever it is, it keeps us constantly going. Now maybe you're not super into social media or you don't feel like you consume extra technology. If you were being honest, is there a way that you fill the silence in your life? Or does the noise come from someone you live with? Maybe they're the one that turns the noise level up and you're just kind of caught up in what they create. Maybe it's their presence in the house that's loud. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> but wherever the noise comes from, we get used to it and becomes our new normal. Now some of you might feel like, my house is actually super quiet right now. Like it's almost too quiet. Maybe your house used to be full and it's not anymore and you miss some of that extra noise. Maybe you don't have roommates right now or something else is going on where your house feels quiet. In that quiet, have you found a way to fill the noise? Probably so in some way. I was at home alone for part of this week because my husband was camping, so it was just me and the dog. She doesn't talk a lot, so really just me. Um, and I found myself turning on Netflix just to have it playing in the background. Even like nature videos, like you can watch like rivers in Alaska. Um, it just made me feel a little bit like I was less alone because it's kind of lonely when it's just quiet. The constant noise has changed us and that is true as a society. It's true across the majority of our country and across the Western world. And what research is now showing is our attention spans are shorter than ever. We prefer short videos over long. We want to read summaries of books over books is what the new research is saying. Um, because there is more content out there than time to consume it. So we're looking for quick ways that we can gather information or take in content. The number one request I get is for a quick and short Bible reading plan. Because we don't have time. We are just doing our best to keep up. And when the COVID stay-at-home stretch started, I moved to working from home. And like I said, we don't have kids. My husband was considered an essential worker, so he still went to work. His life was super normal. He went to work, interacted with people all day. And I had like a handful of video meetings. But other than that, I was pretty much hanging out by myself. Um, and I'm an introvert, so it wasn't as bad for me as it was for many people who would have been in my situation. But even still, that's when I got the brilliant idea of getting a puppy, which shows I wasn't doing so great. And that's when a lot of people adopted puppies, you guys. It was 
bananas to try to get into a vet. Um, we just don't handle the quiet. If it's quiet, we're going to find a way to fill that in. What COVID actually did was accelerate a change. We actually already wanted a dog at some point. It just made it happen now. We as a society were moving toward being addicted to tech. We just did it sooner and quicker. And we held on tighter because we needed it. Tech was the only way that we could communicate with family and friends. We wanted to watch the news because like, what is going on in the world? And we needed social media so we could actually know what was happening. But once we could actually go back to seeing people in person, once all of that kind of calmed down, we didn't cut back on our digital tech, we just kind of layered everything on. So that was, we were, like I said, we were moving in that direction and we were like, well now we're all intertwined. We need digital, we need in-person, we need all of it, and we need it right now. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, author John Mark Homer says, the new normal of a hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. And I don't know how many of you resonate with that statement, but I absolutely do. I see it in myself, I see it in my family, in my friends. It has become our collective experience. Another author, Ruth Haley Barton, describes this way of being like a jar of river water that has been shaken up. So you can't tell the difference between what's sediment and what's rocks and what's water, because if you picture the jar, it's just all swirling around. And swirling so much you can't tell what's what, and there's not room to put anything in. She says what we actually need is to be still long enough that the sediment can settle so the water of our soul can clear up. So this summer, we're looking at a number of spiritual practices, things we can do to help our relationship with God grow and flourish, to help it experience new life. And sometimes when we hear that, we think, okay, that's great, but I don't actually have the space to add anything to my life right now especially in summer, because we have waited forever for summer to come, and we want to relax, and we want to kick back, and the thought of picking up more stuff doesn't sound like what we want to do, because like that river water in a jar, we're swirling, and the swirling is not the way we were meant to live. We can't flourish when we're swirling. It's hard to be fully present when we're swirling, and it is really difficult to hear from God when we're swirling. And it is near impossible to receive anything from him. But the two spiritual practices we are talking about today actually directly affect the swirling and our digital distraction. And they are the key to experiencing flourishing in our lives. Because if you were to describe flourishing, for me it feels more like calmness, a sense of ease and peace, clarity, the ability to focus, and the ability to be present right where you are and enjoy what's around you. And the spiritual practices of silence and solitude get us there more than anything else. If you're anything like me, moving toward clarity and calmness, ease and peace is what you're searching for. That's what your heart longs for. But it seems impossible to find, so we try other ways to do it. We will try yoga. There's those calming drinks. You can buy calming drinks at like a Whole Foods store to try to like calm everything down. Those things aren't terrible. They just don't actually meet our needs and solve our problems because silence and solitude with God is what our heart is actually longing for. So let's start with definitions. What do I mean when I say silence and solitude? 
So silence would be the act of paying attention and listening to God in quiet without interruption and noise. Silence is going to provide you freedom from speaking. You don't have to think of any words, as well as from listening to words or music. And reading actually counts as listening to words as you read it to yourself. So reading your Bible doesn't count as time in silence, unfortunately. Now, it's considered to be a regenerative practice. If you look at definitions of it, oh, sorry about that. Um, and that is something that is restorative or beneficial. So that's silence. It's removing everything and being with God in the quiet. Now, the practice of solitude involves scheduling enough interrupted, uninterrupted time in a distraction-free environment that you actually experience isolation and you're alone with God. So solitude is considered to be a container discipline because it's what we actually have to do to participate in other spiritual practices. So when you think of something like reading your Bible or praying, you don't often pick to do that in the most crowded spot where you're going to get interrupted all the time. Um, although sometimes if you've got kids at home, you're doing the best you can. Um, but most often we are going to participate in a spiritual practice of solitude as we participate in another spiritual practice if we're going to grow the most out of the other one. What is in neither definition is an exact amount of time, because it's not how much time you spend doing either of those things at any given stretch. It's not like you make it to 31 minutes of silence and like, you have entered spiritual practice territory. It doesn't work like that. It's any time that you set aside for either of those things, if you do it with regularity, that you will experience the spiritual benefit. Because when we do these practices regularly, they help us create and maintain space in our lives. Space and rest. What can happen is in that space is it can be used for the internal building of our relationship with God. We can't build it if we don't create space for it. It's space to just be in his presence and space to hear from him. Sometimes we'll hear from him, sometimes we won't, but either way we have created the space for him, to focus on him and him alone. So my husband and I, in addition to being very into the outdoors, are also really up for road trips. We quite enjoy them, and some of our favorite memories have been on road trips. And on a road trip, we can go for a good bit without talking or turning on any music, because we're very comfortable in each other's presence. We know each other very well, and we don't have to fill the entirety of the trip with, like, conversation about absolutely nothing, although I'm really good at conversation about absolutely nothing. But silence when we have it isn't awkward because we are just comfortable being with each other. And when you're around someone you don't know as well, you don't like those pockets of silence in the same way. It gets super awkward and you want to fill it and that's when you say like the weird things that don't make sense because you just don't want the silence. Well, God doesn't need us to fill the silence. He doesn't need the extra words. He doesn't need us to try so hard. He's really comfortable in the quiet because he is very comfortable with us. One of the reasons that I in the past have avoided silence as a spiritual practice for myself is because I was afraid of what I might find out that God felt about me when I was in his presence because I could name all the things that I had done wrong, right? But I came to find out that God just enjoyed me being with him and loved me and had really wonderful things to say to me when I stopped and listened. But God doesn't get louder 
to compete with the swirl in our lives for us to have those types of conversations. He doesn't shove his way to the front, and he doesn't speak over us in a super loud way that we can't miss because he's not going to compete for attention in our lives. Even though every movie shows that he is always booming from the heavens, that's not how we interact with him on a regular basis. So today we're going to take a look at this part of the story of Elijah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, so let me tell you a little bit about him so you'll understand where we pick up this story. So Elijah, like I said, was a prophet. He was um, a very zealous prophet. He loved God a ton, and he was pretty determined. So he went um, and did this battle against the prophets of Baal. So Baal was a false god, and he was the one that was like worshipped in this country where he was. And Baal's prophets battled Elijah's prophets to set a fire, which sounds silly, but that was very important. Um, And so they had this sacrifice, and they wanted to start a fire, and neither of the on-earth prophets were going to do anything. They were going to wait for their gods to start the fire. So all the prophets of Baal started praying to Baal and asking for this fire to come and get the sacrifice, and it never happened, and Elijah's super sassy, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, is Baal sleeping? Um, And so they couldn't do anything, and then Elijah soaks the whole thing in water, and then he asks God to burn it up, and God does, because he's the real God. So then all the prophets of Baal are killed, because they lost, and that's how losing went in those days. So now King Ahab and his wife Jezebel They liked Baal, so they were very upset about this. And they were known for killing people. So they now are upset with Elijah, which is not what you want. So that's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? So to recap, Elijah has this great victory where he partners with God and God's name is made great and then his life is threatened and he got super scared, which makes sense. Even though he knew God could be victorious, he was still afraid. So he goes out by himself and he is angry, afraid, and honestly kind of whiny about it. But after eating the snack that God had provided and taking a nap, both of which are spiritual practices in their own right, he took off on a journey walking 40 days and nights to a mountain. So that mountain, which is called Horeb in this passage, it's also Mount Sinai, and that is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. They're the same mountain. It's a place where God has been known to speak. And Elijah, like Moses, goes up there alone. And when he's up there, he hears from God, and God asks why he's there, and Elijah gives his reason. And in his answer, he tells God, hey, this is really hard, and so I left because they were threatening me, and then I came here, and God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God gives Elijah exactly what he needs, and it's actually the same thing that we need. God knows that when we are faced with exhaustion, fear, or the unknown, what we need most of all is his presence. And because he knows we need his presence, he promises to provide it. It doesn't always show itself the exact way it did for Elijah in this moment. Like when I pray, it's not first first wind, then an earthquake, then fire, then God. That's not generally my prayer times. But God is a faithful God who responds to our attempts to hear from him. We just have to quiet our lives enough to hear what he has to say. And the thing that we are surprised to learn about God's presence here is that it doesn't show up in the super loud, powerful wind. It doesn't show up in an earthquake or the fire, all of which are super loud, and we would anticipate that that would be how God has showed up, and at times he did. But God didn't come in any of the loud. God showed up in a calm, gentle whisper, which Elijah knew is him because he had been quiet enough to hear it. He didn't miss it. God was there right outside the cave in the whisper. So he goes out and quietly stands in the presence of God. And he doesn't immediately start talking. He waits until God speaks to him. When he had first started on that journey, Elijah had been frustrated, angry, and scared, and did not wait to hear from God. Because when you experience the type of victory Elijah had, he was not anticipating that he would then reach this valley of being chased and threatened, his life being threatened. But after some time in solitude and silence, he started healing. And then, once he had settled a little bit, he realized he needed to wait a minute if he wanted to hear from God. He removed himself from the busyness of life and went to a place by himself and waited. He chose solitude. Well, actually, he chose running for his life. But God is a gracious God who will give us, he'll respond to solitude any way he gets it. When Elijah begins that journey, hopeless and upset, he's ready to give up. And when he's under that broom bush, he does not wait for God to talk at all. He tells God what God needs to do. And he's honestly kind of whiny about it. But then he spends his time walking, and he spends his time alone, and he moves himself toward God's presence. And by the time he reaches the mountain, and God's like, hey, why are you here? He can answer honestly, but not in that snotty way that he did before. And he can honestly say, I did a thing for you. 
and I thought that life would turn out different than this, but it's not, and now I'm afraid. Solitude and silence had already begun its work to heal Elijah's soul before he encountered the presence of God. Some of that swirling that he was experiencing as he was running had settled down. Now, the threat wasn't absent. It was still there. His life was very much in danger, but he was more calm and more ready to accept what God would offer him. Just removing himself from his day-to-day life and being quiet and spending time waiting for God was healing to him. Just that. And then God goes above and beyond and gives him even more by giving him his presence. Now, Elijah is not the only person we read about who spent time in solitude and silence. No one did it more often than God himself when he was here on earth. Jesus regularly pursued those two spiritual practices. The Bible shares the story of the 40-day stretch that Jesus spent in the wilderness before he began his public ministry. He spent that time in solitude to ready himself for what his next few years would hold. Now, for Jesus or Elijah, the silence and solitude wasn't super serene if we were going to try to categorize it. A lot of times when we think of those practices, we imagine something that if you were going to give it a title, you would give it something like Zen, like just very calm and wonderful. And that is not at all what their times were like. Both of them were alone in a desert, which isn't awesome. Um, Elijah's working through this emotions and fears, probably looking over his shoulder, making sure someone wasn't trying to get him. And he walked across a desert and then up a mountain, not sitting calmly with his legs crossed. And Jesus literally battles the powers of darkness during his time in solitude. Neither is serene, but both are beneficial to the ones who said yes to the time away. It leads both of them to grow closer to God, to reflect him more fully, and to have the strength to do what they need to do next. But, I don't know about you, I do not have 40 days for solitude and silence. That is not a thing that I can regularly do. Elijah and Jesus had it, which is great, um, but our lives are not set up for that. But Jesus also shows us that it doesn't have to always be super long stretches of time. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And that is talking about Jesus. Jesus did this regularly. Verses like that are all throughout the Gospels in account of what Jesus did when he was on earth. Jesus sought out small pockets of silence and solitude regularly. It was a consistent habit of his. And this verse points to something else that I think is really important. He had to sacrifice to do it. He gave up sleep. Sometimes he gave up time with his friends. He had to do that in order to make sure that he could be alone in the presence of God. And he's God, and he had to do that. Those pockets of solitude consistently fueled him. It gave him space to rest. He always had what he needed when he pursued these practices regularly. He believed in it so much, he also invited his disciples to do the same. Later in that same book, Mark, in chapter 6, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So we don't always have 40 straight days to go on a journey in, sol- in silence and solitude. And the disciples actually didn't have that either at this time. But Jesus invited them to spend the time that they could, and they did it. What healing could come to our souls if we made little chunks of regular space for these two practices?
Would we feel some of that swirling that's around us settle down a little bit? Would we experience more calm like we're hoping for? Could our emotions and feelings be more regulated if we disconnected from time to time, even if we couldn't do it for very long? In her book, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, the author I referenced earlier, Ruth Haley Barton, um, she says that it's more about the regularity of the practice than it is about the amount of time we spend in these practices each time we do them. We might only be able to practice silence or solitude for 10 minutes at a time, but if we do it regularly, we will experience the benefits of it. Have you quieted yourself so you can hear from God? so that your inner life settles down a little bit and your soul clears, so that you can be more present in your day-to-day -day life. Have you pursued that at all? Do you want to? I would say most of us would say yes. And then when we try, we realize it's really, really hard. The world is not set up for us to pursue these practices. Like I said earlier, everything is stacked against us, including our own addictions to noise and digital content. We might want to have silence, but it is just not going to happen for us. We have to make it happen, which means, like Jesus, we have to sacrifice something in order to try to have some pockets of silence and solitude. I was literally working on this message at home the other day, and like I said, I was home alone for a couple days while my husband was out camping, and I heard the laundry was done in the other room, so I went to fold it, and I was like doing that for a second, and then I'm like, oh, I should go get my phone because there's a thing that I want to listen to while I'm folding laundry so that because it was really quiet right and I was like I'm literally writing this message and I'm still trying to fill the silence and even though these aren't new practices for me it was actually kind of uncomfortable to stay in the silence in that moment because I had something I wanted to listen to and even though that is a really small sacrifice it, it was a bit of discomfort and I chose it because I want to be consistent and I was writing this message but also because I want to be less reliant on filling every space with noise. I want to be more settled and more ready to hear from God. And I've practiced both of these things long enough to know that I knew that sacrifice in that moment will be worth it, and I have grown more comfortable with both of the practices over time and enjoy them so much more. In addition to our own reliance on noise, it's really hard to find the time. When we think of what we would have to give up in order to do these things, it's like giving, getting up earlier before everyone like Jesus did, skipping lunch with a friend if we need to take a walk because life is just too much right now. We have to make a choice to do something different with our time. And in that something different, even though it is good for our souls, it's confusing for our heads because it doesn't feel productive. You don't hear from God earth-changing revelations every single time you sit in silence. At the end of 20 minutes of solitude, you still have as much to do as you did before, but you just spent 20 minutes not doing any of that. It could feel like a waste of time, even if you do find the time. In that same book that I was talking about, Invitation to Silence and Solitude, the author says, the practices of solitude and silence are radical because they challenge us on every level of our existence. They challenge us on the level of our culture, there is little in Western culture that supports us entering into what feels like an unproductive time for just being and listening. They confront us on the level of our human relationships. They call us away from those relationships for a time so we can give undivided attention to God. 
It is not easy to make a choice to give God our undivided attention. There is nothing in our life that supports it. It takes intentional effort and consistency. And while we may not be looking to add something hard to our lives this summer, like making the intentional effort to push through and practice hard things, if we believe our life and our soul and our relationship with God would be better for it, it is absolutely worth giving it a try. What these practices do, other than challenge us on every level, is build on each other and get easier. We learn to settle into silence quicker. We learn to tune our ears toward God and not be so bothered by the silence. It helps us give up our addiction to noise because we learn how to be comfortable without it. It helps us settle our swirling quicker because we haven't been stirred up for as long. Our heart rate settles, our breathing changes, and we experience a few minutes of peace in the presence of God. And solitude, when it's practiced regularly, actually helps us break free from our need for constant stimulation and helps us live the way God invites us to because we completely rely on him other than having people around us at all times, being a part of everything that we do. Moving away from people for a time can help us learn to stand on our own in front of the presence of God like Elijah did. So what do you want your life to feel like? What do you want your relationship with God to be like? Do you want to be able to focus on what's in front of you right now? Do you want to be able to hear God when he shows up in a whisper? Do you want to have the strength to fight the battles that you need to? What choices do you need to make to get there now? What do you need to give up to try? So this week, let's remove the earbuds, stop the podcast, turn off the music. Get out of the house if you need to. Find a place of quiet where you can hear the birds or the trees or the waves or the sound of your footsteps. Getting alone with God and tuning your ear to listen to him. What might he be inviting you to hear? Maybe the invitation is simply to be letting him get close to you and sit next to you in the silence. So we're going to practice silence right now. Um, I'm going to have the band come back up and get ready as we go through this. this I'm only going to ask for 60 seconds of silence, and I'm going to keep time for you so you don't have to worry about that. Let me kind of explain how to do this as a way that you can practice at home. If you have never spent time in silence before, I don't recommend trying for more than five or maybe ten minutes because it's going to be really hard to be silent for that long. Um, and if you've never spent that time doing that, it's going to be hard to find chunks of time longer than that. So start with five or ten minutes. Like I said, today we're only going to do it for a minute. But in that five to ten minutes, um, and let's do this all together right now. So sit and close your eyes. So don't look at me anymore. And you can focus a little bit on your breath. Now, the number one thing that's going to happen is your mind is going to start wandering, and that is completely normal. So you want to focus on something during that 60 seconds. I like to focus on a phrase that reminds me that I'm spending time with God. So I like to focus on a phrase like, Lord, I'm here, or Lord, I'm listening. And as you start having your mind wander, return to that phrase, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm listening. This keeps us focused on God and not on anything else. So practice that. Think of a phrase that you want, and I'm going to start the timer at 60 seconds, and I'm going to pray to close us. So let's spend a minute in silence.
each of us that just practiced 60 seconds of being in silence with you. Lord, you know those of us that that was really hard for. You know those of us that we felt so good having a moment to just breathe deep. You know those of us that are going to want to walk out the door and not try that again. But Lord, I pray that we find ways to connect with you that you help us become more comfortable in silence, that you help us get away by ourselves, and that we find ourselves longing for those times more often because of the time we are spending with you. We're so thankful that you want to spend time with us, that it is your heart's desire to hang out with us, saying something or not saying anything at all. Lord, thank you for the many ways that you show up, and thank you that your presence actually provides the thing that we need most of all. We pray that as we go out, that we can carry that pocket of silence with us, and it can give us what we need to go on the rest of our day. In your name, amen.